from their secret lair on the back lot of an abandoned theme park in the heart of the New York of the South. They spring into action whenever an unwanted opinion is needed. This is Two Dudes on a Backlot. Now, here's your hosts, R.L. Sutton and Harvey. We are Two Dudes on a Backlot. My man, R.L. Sutton. That's me. I'm Harvey. We got something to say, but nobody asked. For this episode, we're going to talk about Star Trek. We're going to dive deep into Star Trek lore. I'm a passive uh, Star Trek fan. Been watching it since the OG days when it was in syndication in the, I'm going to age myself, late 70s, early 80s. Definitely enjoyed it and grew up with it. I'm from that generation that grew up with Star Trek The Next Generation when it was on before Arsenio Hall. You don't know what Arsenio Hall was or who he is. Google it. All right. We'll do a show on that one day. <laughs> yeah, we can. We could definitely do that. But uh, RL, you are the OG Star Trek Trekkie. Break it down for us. Just in case you've lived in a cave and have no idea, Star Trek was created as early as 1964 by Gene Roddenberry. It was to be a wagon train to the stars. It was, he described it as Gulliver's Travels. And somebody actually really broke it down recently and said it was an anthology series that had some of the greatest writers of the time who were reading science fiction come in and write it and uh, tap the thing that kept it all together was the crew of the Enterprise. And they were the people who just showed up in every episode and they explored ideas, big and small. They attacked, they came after social issues of the time and they did it as a way it was considered a, by our not by our standards but at the time as a very progressive show most people don't realize and i learned this recently like even the miniskirts were considered for women at the time a sense of freedom and, uh, and of movement forward so for us we we're like man that looked said scream 70s but or 60s and 70s but by at that time it's considered very progressive for the uh, cast. Well, and definitely the the people that they, you know, casted at that time. And it was intentional casting like, you know, Nichelle Nichols as, you know, Ura and Sulu. And then we, at the time, we were like really, you know, ramping up into the Cold War, USSR versus USA. And we had a Russian, you on know, the on the bridge, you know, with Chekhov. So, no, it, it was a very forward-leaning uh, TV show of its time and with you saying that it being you know uh, anthology series I never looked at it that way that's a phenomenal description and I never saw the uh, similarities to you mentioned it right there with Homer's Iliad you know that Greek tragedy about Homer trying to make that trip home and you know the adventures these people weren't necessarily trying to get home they were explorers but there are you could see where Gene Roddenberry kind of grabbed parts of, I would say, Homer's Iliad, and you see it in Star Trek. Are you aware that um, Lucille Ball saved Star Trek? Yes. I know that she was the producer and, you know, kind of doing research for this episode. She, I, it, it, I found out that she, it's not that she was a huge fan of the show, because when they recorded their first uh, pilot episode, the person that we know now as, Captain Kirk, William Shatner, he wasn't there. They had a different captain. And, uh, uh, but you did have Leonard Nimoy. I think you had DeForest Kelly, you had Bones, but you didn't have Scotty. There was, you know, some of those other characters that you got in what we know as Star Trek. And it didn't do very well. If I may correct you, Mm -hmm. what happened actually is you, you, you had, you did have Spock. You had, if I'm recalling, no. You had Spock, but you didn't have McCoy. The only person who came, who was there, was Nurse Chapel, but she, the actress, was playing somebody else. So the only one from the first pilot. They shot the pilot, and they thought it was too cerebral for the time. Yeah, it, compared to a Star Trek episode, you, even when you watch it now, it holds up. It's great, but it's darker. It's definitely yeah. darker. And the first officer was a woman. They had they had a problem with that. Yes, that's it, true. That's that's right. They went back, they kicked it to back, and she was the one who, Desi Studios, 
she was, I believe she owned it or her and her husband both owned it at the time. They got a divorce later on, I think. I could be wrong on that, but no, 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 you're right. But I know that Lucille Paul liked the show more because she saw how progressive it was, especially for women and representation Mm -hmm. of women. So that's why she's like, she kind of saw what Gene was doing and where he was going, and that's what she liked. She's Mm -hmm. she, unlike studio execs of today, she's like, I can see where this is going, and I like it. Let me see. Let me give him the freedom to do what he wants to do. And she backed him up. And that's something we, you hardly see anymore because everybody yes. wants the sure thing. And so they went, they shot the second pilot. He, he had worked with some of those people before he brought the character Spock back. In fact, they bobbed his ears in some promotional material because they thought he looked too much like the devil. And the pilot's called where no man has gone before. And that one actually has a character of Sulu on it, but he's playing a different division. And then the following episodes, you get more of what would later be considered your standard crew. Chekhov was at its third season, and he's kind of given a bowl cut to look like the Beatles. Again, Gene Roddenberry making the show. No, I heard it was, he was, yeah, he was definitely picked because he was a good looking guy. But uh, what they mentioned, they wanted him to look more like Davy Jones from the Monkees. Oh, is it the monkeys? Yeah, and you kind of when you put the two act well, yeah, actors. When you two put the two actors at that time together, side by side, their pictures they look they do look very similar. And Davy Jones was you know a heartthrob at that time, so I would say it was pretty smart marketing on their behalf. RL, did you know that Spock in that first, um, oh my god, pilot, pilot on that first pilot isn't really the Spock that we later saw because uh, at the time Leonard Nimoy was playing off the the actor that was being the captain and since he wasn't Kirk he was more subdued and somber and serious and Leonard Nimoy being the phenomenal actor that he is was like okay this is a little too serious especially with the subject matter and the way that that particular uh, oh my god the pilot was uh, filmed and written he played Spock almost more comically and and with more emotion that we're used to seeing when they went with the second pilot and you have William T. Kirk, a.k.a. Uh, I'm sorry, uh, James T. Kirk, James Mr. T. William Shatner. Um, and he, we know he's the king of overacting. That's where he's like, OK, I have to pull back now because, you know, th- this current captain is more animated and that's now the Spock that we're used to seeing with having his emotions under control and being logical and all that good stuff. So that's, those are like cool little tidbits. I didn't know myself till I did the research for this episode. It's funny that you say king of overacting because yeah, he's a king of overacting, but it works so well for him. He made a freaking career out of it. I think he's a great actor. I mean, yes, at the time, the reason he acted that way because that was a style of acting that was kind of you know bubbling up in the 60s because like many people he did a lot of theater and you know the 60s obviously was an experimental time not just with drugs and music but just with all of the arts and that was a you know we were coming out of the 50s where everything was very rigid and if you guys want a a, a fun explanation of at least that style of acting, definitely check out our Godzilla King of the Monsters episode where we kind of talk about that and have fun, you know, with that style of acting. You know, by the time Star Trek pilot came out, that style of acting of the what we see now is how, you know, William Shatner played Captain Kirk. It was, it was something that was bubbling up. It wasn't popular, but it was something people were experimenting with. And that was something he just kind of went with. We've later seen later in more modern stuff that he's done with Boston Public and other shows that he's on. You know, he has he does have range. You know, he's not always, oh, for acting like you see him in Star Trek. Come but, on, come on, come on. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I think he's a great actor. And yeah, that added to the show. It, it really did. Because it gave, like, 
like I said, the phenomenal actor that is Leonard Nimoy, something to play off of. And that's what makes that buddy-buddy, that partnership between Spock and Captain Kirkwick work so well. And the, the unique thing about that is you, they kind of, I'm a, I'm a big person, believer in give credit where it's due. Yes, Ron and Bear came, uh, came up with the concept and he came up with many ideas and I want to, got a couple more, one particular one to throw at you that was in earlier drafts of his work, but it still was Shatner and Spock and DeForest Kelly and the rest of the crew, Michelle Nichols and them, who kind of drove drove the ship on, no, this is what Kirk would say. And yes, Kirk was notorious for stealing lines from other actors and saying, I think Kirk should say that, not Spock. But uh, the, 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 the writer still did an amazing job of kind of giving them their due and you they created the foundation for star trek without shatner and nimoy and the them doing what they did you would not have had this multi-billion dollar worldwide phenomenon that we know as star trek today and that's partially shatner I, would another have actor done the same thing i i don't think so same thing with you take leonard nimoy at the time out of it He's the one who came up with a Vulcan salute. Most people don't know it. And Nimoy and Shatner are both Canadian actors, so it's funny. Fun, that's funny too. But do you without, know the history behind that Vulcan salute? It is something he saw the Pope do. No, I heard it was. Um, he saw some sort of like Jewish birth. It was at a Jewish birthday or celebration. Was it? I thought. Yeah, it was a, it's based yeah. off of some sort of you know salute in the Jewish community, and he kind of based it off of that. Okay. And even and that's where he even came up with the live long and prosper, because that when that came in was in the season where there was an episode where um, Journey to Babel. What's that? Is it called Journey to Babel? That I I don't know the name of the episode, but in my research, it was an episode where Spock. Uh, what is it called? That I guess that seven year itch that Vulcans have Pond where far. they have to mate. Ponfar. Okay, Ponfar. It was that episode, and it was kind of explaining what Ponfar was, and that episode revolved around Spock because it wasn't the Spock that we normally see. Basically, Spock and Heat. So he was very emotional and kind of like not thinking straight, and it, it, it was a nice contrast in a play. And the explanation was that, you know, it was about Ponfar, and that's when you start seeing that bond between captain kirk and spock and kirk is like okay we whatever we're doing we got to stop let's take spock back to his home planet let him do what he has to do and then you know he'll be back and then we'll continue and it was all based around that whole episode was kind of based around spock and ponfar and and uh his need that his biological need to do what he had to do to get his freak on so uh it developed uh, the, the vulcan mythology yes or, and it was in that episode where he came up with the salute and the now it makes more sense with the live long and prosper you know <laughs> he greets us like a high live long and get your freak on and it's got a great line where you find out his wife that was betrothed to him and they were kind of married um she wanted to get with somebody else and so he kind of at the end of it says okay you after everything happens he's like okay he goes to her explain and she says like basically if if you you i if you kill if you died i'd still get your lands and i'd have this dude over here i can't remember the character's name and if you are successful you would still leave and i would have dude over here and i just wouldn't have your your lands you wouldn't want me so you'd free me either way either way i was going to be free of the situation the only difference is i think she says i'd have your property and he goes logical and he turns to the guy and says in the coldest like this should be written down because it, it's it speaks to so many things in human existence uh-huh sometimes the the desire is much more enjoyable than they had that is so true that's pretty deep i misquoted that's a little super bit deep. basically basically it's sometimes the want is much more desirable than the having 
I believe is the exact quote, but you, but you get the idea. Yeah. So and and that, yeah, that, that that's happened to all of us at some point in your life. There's that one thing that you want so badly. And then when you achieve it, it's like, oh, you, it's, it's, yeah, it's empty. You're just like, mm -hmm. huh. and many people live their lives that way, you know, in relationships and whatever it is that the, they're all about, you know, the, the desires, what gives them that. Uh. And then once they achieve it, they're just kind of empty. Yeah. It's a, it's the, 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 to use a Star Trek phrase, it's almost part of the human condition. There's always something you want and then be, you, you get it. And then you look at it and go, okay, I have it. Cool. It sits over here. It does this or does that. I drive it on sun, whatever it may be. And you realize that the quest to get that thing wasn't quite what you was expecting or what that was part of the, the excitement. And now you have it. And you're like, okay. Um, hmm. Now what? Exactly. My dad was in the army. So I moved around every three to four years at different military bases. And it didn't matter where I was at. One thing that was a constant was Star Trek was on TV. It could have been, you know, almost always on the weekends early in the morning, or it could have been, you know, sometime in the afternoon after cartoons, because before Cartoon Network and cable and streaming, cartoons were literally on for an hour. Didn't matter most towns where you lived, it's between the hours of three and four, if you were lucky, maybe three to five. And then after that, you would watch reruns of all of these shows from the 60s and 70s, like Star Trek and Partridge Family and Lost in Space and I Love Lucy, you know, whatever, whatever the syndication agreement was in your particular town, you were, you were watching old sitcoms from the 60s in black and white. Um, as an army brat living on military bases most of my life, not only was Star Trek a constant, but it was familiar because Gene Roddenberry was in the military and when he got out of the military, he went into uh, law enforcement in Los Angeles, I think it was. And he was a police officer and he based a lot of his military experience, but definitely his experience as a policeman, specifically in Star Trek. RL, can you break it down further about his motivations and why he did that? And what did you, as somebody that grew up as a civilian, what were your thoughts on the TV show and the way with rank and, you know, the, the interaction me, between different characters and their ranks and whatnot. For me, the Star Trek was that Monday through Friday, every day I'd rush home from school and it was on at four, at four o'clock and the family was gracious enough to be like, whatever, just leave us alone, run outside and kind of turn the antenna to where I thought Orlando was where I was living was not Orlando and to get, get it in and I'd watch it. The, it gave structure to it, but to me, the friendships and family in the group, then the way that there was kind of this leadership and this, this inspiring figure who would kind of direct you actually really helped me out later in life. And it was, I was in my 20, much later in my twenties before I realized not every place worked like that because I saw Star Trek and it kind of said, this is a, this is how it should be. And this is what these meaningful relationships are and command structure. So when I had my first job, I was fortunate enough to work for a company that was very much structured like the military, like the, I don't know if the owner was in the military, but you had managers and supervisors and it was like kind of a, a pecking order, if you will. Correct. And so for me, that was just how it was because unfortunately my family, there was no structure there. It was just, it's a whole nother story, but long and short of it. So Star Trek kind of ingrained it in me and I didn't realize it was really get understand syndication at the time. So it was just on every Monday through Friday at four o'clock and I would watch them in a marathon. And then every once in a while, I'd be like, Oh, I've seen this one before because I don't even know if they re-aired them out of order sometimes. I would say they were always out of order. I don't think they were ever in order. Right. Like season one, two, four, well, season one or three, you just kind of throw them around. And then when the movie started coming out, I, I remember, like, I remember what theaters, most of the theaters I, where I saw those films. So they were like almost a 
almost like a pilgrimage for me to see them. And I remember my late aunt hadn't seen the third one film. And I'm like, can I say something? She's like, what? I'm like, you blew up my ship. And she was like, why? She was so mad at me because I was devastated because like a lot of people, Enterprise was a character. But yeah, yeah. No, that's an excellent point. It, it helped, for me, it helped form, well, in a very unpleasant environment, it gave me that, that's, that, that, that example of what to be like, you know, that what the world should be like and what you should inspire towards. And it, a lot of other people did the same thing. Star Trek kind of helped form, drive their careers. So for me, it was, it was that familiarity that, okay, look, the world can be better. The world can be like this. We can do these great adventures. I tell, we tell people like, look, I don't care about the women. I just want the ship. I wanted to be Captain Kirk, but I wanted the ship. I didn't care about the women. You know, you can have the women. <laughs> and speaking, so, speaking mm -hmm. of that, I, I, I definitely want to get your opinion on Captain Kirk and the women in the show. Because, you know, he, he there were many episodes where, you know, he was kind of like the playboy. And there's that one episode where he had the real sexy green woman, you know. So uh, when, when when you're done explaining, you know, what Trek was to you, I definitely want to get your take on the the heartthrob that was, was Captain James T. Kirk. Uh, Kirk was a woman, a ladies' man. He was done that way. A lot of that came out of Shatner trying to make him even more macho. He was he was kind of what they thought that you know that what was expected at the time so yes the characters kirk is frozen in amber he may not be so aggressive and forward if you were to write that show decades later but that was kind of the way the the hero was supposed to be portrayed then okay to sum it up star trek to me was something humanity should inspire to be like inspired to be in that sense of infinite diversity coming together with respect for each other's points of views and you there was never a case of i had this experience recently where it was like i told someone like well they're a vegetarian and they have certain views on on um eating meat basically and i was like well i respect your view and she goes well kind of that rolled eye, well, thank you. But like, I can't, it's like, I, I, I'm glad you respect my point of view, but I can't respect your point of view. And in Star Trek, there was a lot of, okay, I see life differently and you have a right to think your way and I have a, and I, and that other person has, believes that other person has a right, you know, within reason to think their way and they can get along. So to me, that was what humanity should be working towards. So yeah, there's a big, big philosophy there. No, you, uh, you, you bring up an excellent point with that philosophy because we're talking about a TV show that was written in the late 60s. Mm -hmm. And like you said, humanity should aspire to that. We are in the 21st century now. And like you so eloquently stated, you're saying, hey, you know, I eat meat, but I, I respect your point of view about you not wanting to eat meat. And this person had to be, I'm going to just say it, a dick and say, well, I don't respect your thing. And I'm like, and that's where I think that's the reasons we have issues with humanity now. We'll at my full, <laughs> Yeah, at my full-time job, one of the many jobs that I have, I was helping to load in for a concert. And the person kind of in charge of running this, the, the operation, totally, you know, a job that they're underqualified for, over their head, clearly super nervous about, reacted in a very unprofessional, childish manner, and started, you know, uh, basically scolding the technicians that were helping put this thing on. And it really created... Uh, very unpleasant work environment. The sad thing is this person's job is to make sure that everything runs smoothly instead of being the one that's making it run not so smoothly. Everything was working great. Everything was working how it needed to. But the this particular person and their ego and their desire to feed their ego and not see the bigger picture and honestly do their job of 
maintaining a decorum of professionalism, making sure that the operation is running the way it should be, their desire to feed their ego and be like, I'm in charge, it, it created chaos. So now we're in a meeting that went for two and a half hours. Nothing came out of the meeting because this person has does not have the ability to see what they were doing, why they're wrong, or just wanting to at least resolve the conflict. No, no. They came into the meeting and they left the meeting the same way they came in. Being unreasonable, being childish, being unprofessional, and now all you did was make everybody that's supposed to work under you hate you. So now you've made yourself an inefficient and bad leader because as a leader, if you don't have the respect of your crew, you have nothing. And that was one thing that Captain Kirk always had. He always had the respect of his crew and he was always looking out for his crew. And there are many episodes throughout the seasons and through following seasons with the different iterations of Star Trek. Yes, it's always going to revolve around the captain. Didn't matter if it was the first black captain or the first, you know, female captain in Star Trek. That that particular dynamic always was constant. That captain had the respect and the you know the best interests of the crew they weren't going to put the crew in harm's way that's where the military thing comes in where they work their way up and even in that company i used to, that one company i worked for that i thought all companies worked that way you had even if you came in as a manager you had to a phrase i don't i'm not fond of but you paid your dues you had to work your way up there's a major corporation i don't want to say what one it is because i i'm not sure 100 percent but one of the things they do, and the founder makes it this way, everybody at the top has to do the job once a week that the basic staff does to remember where they were. Exactly. Well, or to almost re-familiarize yourself, because it could be a job that maybe it hasn't changed that drastically from when that manager used to do it, but there's something about working alongside the crew the crew respect that and they'll have your back and that's yeah. one of the situations of my current full-time job now my current boss not only does he um have our back he wears the same clothes that we wear he's not in business casual complete opposite he won't put on business casual unless he really has to it's some sort of meeting he's stuck in or he's got to interview people he's wearing the same clothes that we're wearing to do our job and he's alongside us and that mm -hmm. says a lot and he yeah. enjoys working alongside us and that when you have like you said you don't have this military way of working your way up when you just promote people because of what they have on their resume yeah, you're, you're, you're going to just get these egos and I'm the boss and you got to do as I say. Don't do as I do because I, I do whatever I want, but I'm better than you. And that's something you don't see in Star Trek. What you see in Star Trek is, like you said, you know, like it says in the opening crawl, you know, to, to find new worlds. And within themselves, there's that desire to, like you said, coexist and and understand each other and you see a little bit of it with spock being of a species that's not human spock is half human and then you later will see it with um the klingons who in the original star trek were enemies of the federation and by the time we get to star trek next generation you have a klingon that is a part of the federation and later you know romulans and whatnot in other iterations of star trek so here's yeah here's the unique thing about star trek and i don't know if people will pick up on it and you have to kind of it's subtle he spock is half spock is half um human but he pushes into his vulcan side and actually to be blunt he's never said it but he actually thinks the vulcan society and their way of doing things is superior to humanity I, like you said yeah he's never said it but in a way he has said it with how he'll make I'm a you know, I'm not capable of this. I'm a Vulcan. Or yeah, he's always making comparisons. And then he progresses something. He progresses. He matures. You get to Star Trek Six. He makes a quote as one of my ancestors 
would say you remove the you move the I can't remember it's a quote of Sherlock Holmes but whatever and so he ends up he actually tells one of his uh, his the people he's mentoring he goes um the there's a phrase basically along long that says that the universe will unfold in the way it should be and she goes he goes there's a something statement and she goes that's um she goes that's not logical and he goes it's in faith and faith is the beginning of logic so he embraces both sides of his character by the end of the character story arc and he comes to appreciate the humanity as well as the his vulcan side and they're they're again characters developing and changing over time is not something that you see a lot of in modern fiction a lot of times you just end up especially in sitcoms where they were at the beginning of the series at the end of the series question Captain yes. Kirk, the, the relationship between Captain Kirk and Spock. Yes, they w- had to work together because there's a ranking system. Mm-hmm. There's a pecking order. But do you think Spock, you know, because they were friends. They later, you know, they mm-hmm. grew into being friends. What do you think was Spock's point of view of Kirk? Especially, you know, Kirk being, he would, he, his, he was always looking out for the best interest of his crew. But, you know, a little bit of a maverick at the same time. Um, I wouldn't say he was emotional, but he was definitely, um, he he wouldn't think things through sometimes. Do you think maybe at points he maybe kind of admired that, you know, his human side maybe kind of admired a little bit Captain Kirk? Or do you think it was all like, he, like you said, he was so wanting to be on the Vulcan side that, he just found Captain Kirk comical. What do you think his point of view was? I think his thought, just as a fan, you, you get the impression that you had the, the almost like a trinity. You had Spock, you had Kirk, you had McCoy, and that honestly is a representation of most people. It's your emotions, your logic mind, and then in between is trying to balance them. I think that from a story standpoint, he admired Kirk and he believed that Kirk was, he fully believed Kirk was where he should be. He believed that Kirk was in command of the Enterprise and that he says, um, command was always your best destiny. The use, you doing anything else is a waste of resources. So he believed that Kirk did the right thing for the time period, especially that he lived in. And that him being an admiral wasn't the right place for him. Him be, he he was the guy that should be out there going and making those hard decisions in the field and not pushing paperwork. And so I think he believed that he would he believed that everybody was exactly where they should be. Whether he, so yeah, he he did what he had to do for the situations he was doing. And it, you know, it's like any time in history you see these decisions and we're looking at them sometimes hundreds of years later in this case star trek we're looking at this future possible future sometimes you do that thing that's right at the time it may not be right 100 years later it may not be right tomorrow but for that moment in time he believed kirk was doing the right things and the best captain in starfleet because in star trek wrath he steps down to let kirk be in charge because he has that faith. How many people are you going to think step down to let the flag officer to to start calling orders unless you believe that person has a better judgment or is better at that particular thing than maybe you are? Kirk was let's, a true let, Let's talk about, since we're down this path, let's talk about the death of Spock. What led up to that? Because that's one of the best scenes cinema you know cinema period but in, i would say definitely within the the og star trek movies what led up to that why did spock make that call and like i said you know william shatner being the king of overacting that's one scene you know and this is obviously what maybe 30 years 25 years after the 22. tv show um the way he played that scene was so beautifully done you know, it was very calm and subtle, and uh, it's a tearjerker to this day. What led up to that? 
why you know yes break it down rl basically story-wise it was a self-sacrifice it's spock realized that there was nobody else could do what needed to be done in that in the military it almost in life if you think about it there may there may be a case where you're called upon to do something that's highly dangerous for the betterment of others because no one else can particularly do that thing and it was obviously star trek though it's on that edge of military not military he knew he could survive long enough to do to to uh, save everybody else's life at the risk of his own if you're a husband part of being a husband is there might be a situation where you might have to put it on the line to protect your loved ones your wife if you're a father definitely you know even in the case of star trek he, he was protecting his family and so i know that my biology will let me and my expertise i can get this thing done when nobody else can get it done and i might not survive it but it's kind of a, a thing i love my crew i'm doing or my honor demands it whatever you word you want to use my to protect my friends i have to do the ultimate thing and it may not work out so it's self-sacrifice and what would you say was kirk's his point of view because Kirk. he he knew at, at the same time he knew spock was the only one that could do that i don't know if he knew that spock was only, he didn't know what spock had to do but his point of view was remember kirk doesn't believe in the no-win scenario so kirk had to face mortality he had to lose a lifelong friend he had to do that thing he had to accept he couldn't clever his way out of the situation he won but he as he says i we shed in our most precious blood it's you know this instant who has to pet who died to save everybody else to, that that sucks um for the record those who may not have seen the director's cut of star trek the rethicon that is uh scotty's nephew it's cut out but you find out that's why he took him to the bridge because he lost his nephew and some theories are that maybe the trouble took him to place but you left you if you lose your nephew the closest thing to a son that you have it's not going to be easy so for kirk he lost a brother he lost somebody that he spent decades of his life with and now and he couldn't undo this there was no way for him to get the ultimate win because he lost what was precious to him he may he didn't know that may not have known that was scotty's nephew even if he did it may it's not quite the same as that person who you think of as your brother your your equal your your partner you know mm -hmm. in a heterosexual way so when that person's gone and again story standpoint nobody knew he was coming yeah they hinted he may come back but if he didn't come back and if there was never another star trek movie to our fans and everybody else it would have just it's gone it's done you think that was part of that like they pulled like a death of superman deal where no. in in this movie we're we're gonna kill him and then i you know I spock knew. being the most popular character they're like we're gonna gonna resurrect them and just make a whole movie built around it no 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 i've read great i've read up on this over my entire life and the story has always been spock came leonard said i'll come back if you kill spock off and let me leave because spock wasn't going to return for the the reboot series star trek phase two when cbs was trying to launch his own network back then spock was never going to be part of that in fact there's a um for those who've heard of star trek phase two it's a um it was going to be the first it was going to be basically be star trek the next generation before star trek the next generation see i didn't it even know about this i didn't i didn't know that was a thing oh okay then i'll unpack it for those who don't know star, there was an attempt at what was called star trek phase two and phase two was going to be star trek was going to return but there wasn't going spock was not going to be part of it in fact some of the designs of the to take us to now the starship discovery were based on early concepts of that Star Trek phase two. The sets were kind of in pre-production. The warp core you see used in Star Trek Voyager was actually built for that series. What had happened is Nimoy wasn't coming back. There were 
this is in the 70s cbs was planning to launch it's another network paramount was going to launch the cbs network at that time or it was going to be united paramount whatever cbs2 something like that i don't remember what they were going to call it and one of their flagship shows was going to be star trek uh, i believe um phase two there's in this uh, uh synopsis where kirk is being down and he's caught in this kind of transporter accident and kirk yells out this character's name because you know spock's not there spock wasn't on the ship in fact the actor who's going to be part of that show the the ball-headed woman that you saw there was going to be a character like her from the motion picture and the vulcan who dies in the very beginning of the motion picture who says he's going to meet um kirk on the enterprise were those characters and they they were killed off in the motion picture they're going forward with this and then that name hits as they're going forward with developing star trek phase two star wars is released and paramount goes why did we want syndication money when we can have all of the money and they canceled that to go forward with star trek the motion picture if you look at comic books or posters from announcing star trek the motion picture you will see an enterprise that has looks like a hybrid between what we saw in the original series but it's got the warp drive and nozzles the engines like the one on the motion picture enterprise they go into production of star trek the motion picture and gene roddenberry and the script was not finalized that's why the show is so a long i love the beauty shots enterprise like every star hardcore fan but the script is they're writing the script as the as they're making the show. The original cuts have them looking out the window for special effects cuts that never got made into it until now with the 4K version that's on HBO Max. But part of your, the reason it's the motion picture with not a lot of motion, they didn't have a complete script. They didn't, that, that, that episode also was meant to be the pilot. That story was meant to be the pilot for Star Trek Phase 2. So, you, so everything happens for a reason because it's not like it went too bad for them because they continued to make movies up to the point where they relaunched Star Trek The Next Generation in the 90s. Actually, the motion picture, the, most of the cast thought it was going to happen. They're like, okay, well, we did that. It's done. They, nobody thought that was a beautiful shot film that didn't make it do as well. And then you get into the Wrath of Khan, which is a, has its own production story. Yeah. Yeah, that's something we could visit in future episodes so oh continuing. continuing money it's like well what's the saying rl Mo is money's the root of all evil the or bible says the, the love of money is the root the, of all evil. say you say it you say it the bible says that the love of money is the root of all evil how would you break down their financial system in Star Trek. It's way in the future, and we could see how money's kind of ruining the way we live today the, with, you know, companies owning everything and everything being ridiculously expensive. How 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 did that work in the series or just in that Star Trek, you know, universe? It actually some people think it's socialism, some people think it's communism. What's unique about it when you dive into it and you give a lot of thought, you got and understand I'm only going on what you hear the lines that are said. Scotty says he's gonna he just bought a boat. Kirk says you earned your check. Then you get in the next generation. Picard's family's owned their vineyard for generations. Yeah. And you get Cisco, which is on Deep Space Nine, one of the the best series that doesn't get nearly enough credit his father owns a um a um a restaurant i believe it's in louisiana i might be wrong but he owns a restaurant they do seafood and stuff picard has this line i pulled i found the acquisition of wealth is no longer the driving force of our lives we work to better ourselves and the rest of humanity and if you go to the original Next Generation series, an episode written by 
Ronald D. Moore, the guy who also went on after Star Trek to do Battlestar Galactica, and he kind of was the godfather running or the the driving of Star Trek for the most part during after Gene Roddenberry kind of was pushed back and everything. He wrote this episode with Picard called Tapestry. In Tapestry, for those who don't remember, Picard gets stabbed to the heart by the Norse again when he's a young man. He almost dies. They give him an artificial heart and he goes on to be this badass leader and becomes captain of the Enterprise. Picard's on a away mission. This is middle of next generation time. He gets shot. His artificial heart freezes. They get him back to the ship. Picard dies. He wakes up. He believes in, he's in heaven or something. He doesn't know where he is because Picard pretty much I think is an atheist. Yeah. Picard Q's there and Q goes, you're dead and I'm gone. Roll credits. Back to after the opening credits. He's Picard's like, I refuse to believe you're God. The universe is not so poorly designed. And then <laughs> it was supposed to be a Christmas carol, but it got kind of re redone into This Is Your Life. And they he allowed Picard to go back to the time he got stabbed, and he didn't get stabbed. It was him and his best friend friend and they had a young lady there was three of them kind of in the younger days and Picard was catting around a lot and he changed it he actually got with the, the female friend that kind of messed up the relationship and he kept himself from getting stabbed then he dumps Picard back in his reality Q does dumps him back in his reality after he got stabbed it's the same timeline he was when he got shot and you find out he's not the captain of the Enterprise he is a lowly guy working in astrophysics and he's going around taking taking information he's on the bridge suddenly and the wharf's looking at him like who are you what do you want and he goes he goes uh, uh, captain mr wharf what time is it and their data is just looking at him like who are you to be up here why are you here and you find out that he's just like a lieutenant grade one he isn't the captain. He isn't even command. He just runs around doing errands for basically better men. He get he finds Riker and, and Troy sits down with them. They're like, again, this low-ranking guy coming to us. What can we do for you? He's like, well, this and this and this. And because to hurry the story along, like I'm going to hurry myself along now, they basically tell him, look, but Riker's blunt. You think about Riker being blunt with Picard. You never did anything to make us think that you could be a command. You never stood out in crowd. You did what was necessary and you went about your life and did nothing but just what was required to get through life. He yanks him out of the timeline. He's on that. He, he goes demanding for Q to appear and he tells Q, look, I would rather die than be the man that I lived the life of that man I just saw. Point being, I said, told you all, every, I said all that to say this. They live in a world where there is no poverty, there's no hunger, but they also live in a world where society expects you to be the best person you can be and to work as hard as you can at whatever it is you're great at. You can't just slide through life. And if you do, you get awarded accordingly. Okay. Jean-Luc Picard has a yacht on the bottom of the enterprise. If you're a badass, you stand out in the crowd, you show you should be leader, you're rewarded. So I think to, the only word that comes to mind is maybe they got a social credit system. Like you're given what you need. We get you a good education and we get you food and we don't let you sleep on the streets in the Star Trek unit in the Federation, but expectations are placed on people. And I actually think that would be a harder system even than some of the ones because you couldn't just slide through life because your entire society is going to go, why aren't you the best DJ you can be? Why aren't you the best athlete you can be? You're just going to do this? What? You're good. And I, you would almost think it's another show that said it, but sloth, slothfulness is probably looked down upon in the Star Trek universe. That's my thoughts on it. I, I wouldn't necessarily think it's a bad thing because today seems like everything is about slothfulness. And, you know, it doesn't matter what type of job you have, you hear about the slothfulness and like levels of upper management. You hear about, you know? but you, but you have it on all levels. You got the guy who comes in and does enough not to get written up. Exactly. 
or even does enough to get yelled at a little bit. But you also have a system where you're promote. They rec. It's like how would you recognize if everyone has their needs? How how do you reward the outgoing people? In their system, you 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 uh, they get promoted. They get to be the guy in charge, and they're in. You know, rank has its benefits. They're given a way to. Yeah, move rank up. has its benefits, but I think it's also showing that if you work towards something, you can be rewarded. It seems like nowadays, if you're, it seems like the skill set you need to have the most is to be an ass kisser. So you yeah, could be yeah. so incompetent, but as long as you're doing whatever your upper management's requiring of you, you can literally be an incompetent middle manager and do. Okay, I don't know how those people sleep at night, and I'm not say, saying it in a moral way, but you know that the people underneath you hate your guts when you're approached with having to make a decision as a manager, and all you do is make make up excuses, hide, or not resolve anything, but you still can keep your job. Yeah, you're 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 getting paid well, but you know. I don't know. I don't know how you could keep coming into a place where everybody hates your guts and you. How do you live knowing you're as as a person that at some point you are just fine being average and being but, a. Uh, you, it's like you said. It's one thing if you're somebody that's totally fine with being. I've worked with. I work and have worked with people that they're fine. Like you said, just coasting. You're always gonna have people at your job that they're not bad at their job. They're never going to be great at their job. They're fine with just coasting. That's fine. But my issue has always been with somebody that's in some sort of level of management with that attitude. But if you, if you going back to Star Trek, the, you can even say that they don't necessarily reward nepotism because Crusher's kid shows up and he's not just allowed on the bridge. Oh, that's my son. Okay, what's he doing on the bridge was basically what Picard said. And then he had to prove that he was smart enough to be on the bridge. Yes, there was some jumping in things, but then you go back to the academy, he didn't get necessarily special treatment. Even Spock didn't get special treatment. In fact, Spock was kind of like, well, well, screw this. I'm going to the humans organization if you're going to treat me like this. So there, there is some, you, you still have some human elements there. Basically, the biggest difference in my view is yeah, we don't let people starve. We, we we give you equity, but no, we give everyone equality. You don't get equity. You know, you got to get work to get where you want in this society. We just make sure that you have the tools you need to contribute. So, okay. In closing, do you ever see our current generation? Not our current lesson. This is going to be way after you and I. You know give up the ghost do you think we could get to that level of of star trek you know at least humanity can not technologically wise but just i don't know getting along better do you see I that happening i honestly all right i'll tell you what i honestly see technology i think i i'm one of those old school firm believers that anything's possible i do think we, we could get their technology I think that you're going to have countries, some countries are going to get there. I don't think everyone's going to get, I don't think you're going to necessarily ever have a United Earth government because I think there's too many major cultural differences. I think you could have some people, some countries come together and form a federation and get there. I think you're going to have to have the the old guard that we have in control right now they're going to have to be after they're, they're not they can't be in control and i don't mean like we're a revolution that takes them out i mean like the you got to have broader thinkers and you got to have some recognition of look we need a little bit of both we need we need basic things for people to survive we shouldn't have homelessness not while we're spending billions on defense but at the same time we need to have ways for, to have the exceptional people want to be exceptional. There should be some reward for effort. I think we could get there. I just don't, I don't honestly believe in a United Earth government ever. And I don't think that 
everybody in the world's going to be on always on the same level because we're just some people have a harder time letting go of the way it used to be i think society is going through growing pains because you're going to have a we're, we're in a world of extremism either you're super extreme to one side or you're super extreme to the other side and some of these we'll say leadership groups these people who have influence but in the middle is where the reality is and the people in the middle are going to eventually be like you know what we're, we're done with you guys no we're not going to do this no this guy shouldn't have a house that can be seen from orbit and two blocks from him people are on the streets maybe we give you a little less of a house you still got a big house but and it, your company doesn't need a um your your profits are more than third world nations maybe gross gdp you know some balance and some i don't want to say fairness but some just general decency we'll call it that you know if you're if you're somebody who has the means and you're fine with uh, well i'm donating to this charity well why don't you start an organization that helps that guy over there you know and i mean on all levels let's get everybody on a nice starting point but i'm ranting so i'll leave it at that <laughs> no i mean you brought up some excellent points i think that something needs to happen worldwide where like you said where people can be motivated to do things i with social media and just media in general it seems like it it promotes it doesn't promote unity it promotes separation it's all about but see making I, I, people spend more and consume more so not necessarily trying to be the best versions of themselves cuz not like you said not everybody's going to be a great military person or, or a person that do good in the military maybe your skill set is you're a phenomenal cook here's the deal you can be a phenomenal cook doesn't necessarily make you a chef but you don't have to be a chef and i think that's in society it's like no no man you need to be a chef and you need to be the best chef and you need to be the best chef and has an awesome tiktok and instagram account and but you know here here's the but this is the thing the quote isn't be the best this or that it says we work to to better ourselves making being the best at what you're at you might be the best cashier and you're happy no and that's my point it's like that's the quote but in the day and age you know that we live in today you have to be the best at whatever or in social media you see the best versions of people because that's what they're posting there and it went from being something where you could stay in better communication with family and friends to, oh, look what I'm doing. And everybody posts the best version of themselves and they're living their best lives. And who knows? Yeah, you look great, you know, in that post. And who knows? Yeah, maybe when you upload it and put your filters and do all that stuff, you might have a good cry because you're actually depressed. Who knows? But that's why social media is what it is it doesn't matter if it's male or female if you notice oh there you can't even separate one profile from the other because everybody's posting the same thing and they pose in the same way and they use the same filters there's no individuality anymore but that's the thing we can we can we'll say improve work on improving ourselves and today and instead of you know putting on for the internet take that time to put on improve yourself even if it's just reading a book reading is something that improves you it doesn't have to be anything significant it can be a trashy star trek novel but you're getting it's better than sitting there putting on fake putting fake out on the internet just how you treat the i had a guy tell me he goes you start we were talking about these kind of things. He's like, you start it locally. Maybe you take the, the trash can in for your, your your neighbor next door who's elderly, or maybe you just simply nice to somebody for the sake of it, buy somebody a drink and drive through. There, there's some, or just being pleasant to people outside of your night, your local circle, just for the just for the opportunity, and improving yourself could be instead of spending. Abundant, or worrying about spending a bunch of money to go to some big event 
maybe you just get in your car or hop on your bicycle, ride to some place, some experience in nature. You can enrich your life without boldly going where no one has gone before. Just experiencing life, meeting somebody different, having a conversation. And I know Americans are known for this. Well, start talking to anybody. You know, go and have a conversation with somebody you don't know, or even just sim a simple "how you doing," speaking to somebody who might, you know, might be having a moment, not a hot day. Hey, man, how you doing? Or hey, this person. You know, it doesn't have to be more so than just being pleasant. That can do more for people sometimes than a thousand dollars in their wallet. Or if you, you know, get, you know, put a put an extra few bucks in your pocket, not a lot. And then if you see a person who looks like they they need help, give them a couple of dollars. There, it's the small things that can build into bigger things. Is what I'm going with. Space. And that's final which we, what we should all aspire to do. Be like my man. R.L. Sutton. It's the, little, it's, a, it's the little things. It's the little things. And no, but you're right. It's it's it's, it's about the little things. You know, not everybody could be a comic book writer, director, screenwriter, and porn star like yourself, my brother. So, Maybe wise words. Wise words. <laughs> and on that, I'm R.L. Sutton. I'm Harvey. And this is two. Two dudes boldly going where a few dudes have gone before. Have a great day, everybody. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Want more Two Dudes on a Backlot? Join our Facebook group or follow us on Instagram for upcoming shows and other information. Now listen to what this other chap has to say. Now, as our intrepid duo return to their lives as pizza delivery man and dollar theater usher, we must remember the lessons we learned today. Join us again, same backlot time, same backlot channel.